time I'd like to talk on the subject of what I call sense versus nonsense. Basically, I feel that there's more or less two kinds of thinking, sense and nonsense. Uh, nonsense thinking on our part can oftentimes cause us a lot of anxiety feelings, frustrated feelings, a lot of our unmanageability. Uh, I think uh, is due to a lot of so-called nonsense thinking. To me, what represents sensible thinking is that if you have the facts to back up whatever it is that's going through your head, uh, and we have literally thousands of ideas going through our head all day long, if you have the facts to back that up and you know that it's really true, then fine. For the most part, I think we can generally assume that that's sense. But on the other hand, if you've got some idea just kind of floating through your head, uh, and you really, when you stop to think about it, don't have any actual factual data to back that up, then I think there's a very good chance that that may simply be just, as I call, nonsense thinking or faulty thinking. I have some a list of some kind of nonsense ideas that I'd like to go through with you at this time. Number one, I feel a uh, nonsense idea is that uh, we tend to oftentimes think that if we get anxious or nervous, that it's going to result in some kind of definite harm to us. That perhaps we're going to have a stroke or a heart attack or faint or suffer some terrible embarrassment that we can never live down. Uh, I've come to realize that that kind of thinking is nonsense. I've certainly been highly nervous at various times, and I'm sure all of you have also been. And I have never suffered a heart attack or a stroke or, or haven't fainted either. It hasn't been all that embarrassing. But uh, to come to realize that really, that sense, nothing terrible is going to happen as a result of having some anxiety. It's a normal thing. Faulty idea number two is that we tend to think we're so different from others, that we get more anxious than others do. Again, I think we have to realize that sensible thinking, again, is... Anxiety is normal. Our lives would be very uninteresting if it were not for our getting somewhat excited from time to time, if you ever really stop to think about that. The difference between you and I seems to be, uh, in comparison to, to others, is uh, not necessarily in the degree of anxiety or excitement uh, that we have, but it's in how seriously or how much importance we put upon it. Again, sensible thinking to me in this area is to play things down instead of up. Uh, stop making these mountains out of molehills, for example. Nonsense idea number three, it seems that oftentimes we tend to have faulty thinking or nonsense thinking and that we think it is not so much what we do, but it's how anxious we feel when we do it that's important. I think what we need to learn, the sensible thing to learn here, is that it really doesn't matter 
how anxious we feel. But what matters is what we do. Courage is defined by action, not by feeling. I think it's important to remember that. Nonsense idea number four oftentimes seems to be that we tend to think in error, I believe, that it's best to avoid and escape from situations that are going to make us uncomfortable or nervous or anxious. We need to learn and to know that that's nonsense. We need to, to learn and to know that that running away only makes the anxiety grow stronger, generalize, and last longer. In other words, what I'm saying is if I've got a task to perform and I don't do it because I think it's going to make me too nervous to do it, I'm going to have more anxiety as a result of not having done it than if I'd have simply gone ahead and done it. Another nonsense idea seems to be that a lot of us uh, think that there are things we simply can't do because of our anxiety. We cannot do them. I believe very firmly that that word cannot must go. We need to learn, we need to know that yes, we are going to be uncomfortable with have some anxiety from time to time. But there's no good reason why we should have this nonsense idea that we're not going to be comfortable all the time. Why we should live our lives without some discomfort. Everybody has it. And we cannot expect to be comfortable at all times. You and I oftentimes tend to be what's described as the world's greatest comfort seekers. But that word cannot must go, and we simply must have the courage to go ahead and do whatever it is we need to do to be responsible people. Another nonsense idea that I think uh, I'd like to share with you is that we seem to oftentimes have faulty thinking or a nonsense idea that taking a drink or popping a pill is the answer. We seem to think that anxiety or nervousness is some kind of a disease and, or an illness and therefore we're going to take some kind of a medicine to cure it, like some kind of a mood-altering chemical. I can take a pill or a drink now and then I can relax and not have to worry about things in the future. Uh, nonsense thinking like a little drink or a little Valium never hurt anybody. Hey, you and I need to learn and to know that that's really faulty thinking and could be fatal to us. A little drink, a little Valium for you and I could be the beginning of the, the final end. The price is too high. It's not worth it. And remember, maybe it's true, a little drink, which you and I don't seem to know the meaning of anyway, never, maybe a little drink or a little Valium never hurt anybody. But let's remember... A little anxiety never did either. Moving on, I think it's also important for us to watch what, what kind of a vocabulary, what kind of self-talk it is that we're using on ourselves. I believe strongly that our feelings follow our thoughts. In other words, I'm saying our head bone is connected to our gut bone. Before you have a feeling, you have the thought. And to begin to monitor and watch what kind of things you're saying to yourself and what kind of words you're using on yourself. There are some outstanding words that seem notorious for being able to cause a lot of anxiety in people. 
and I'm one of those people. Words like awful, terrible, horrible. We use words like that, what we're doing is using exaggerations. We're saying things that are catastrophic, terrible, horrible. Again, making mountains out of molehills. Sure, something happens, we don't like it, we didn't want it that way. Perhaps we can say it's a little unfortunate, but it certainly need not be referred to as awful, terrible, and horrible. A little unfortunate, that kind of thinking is going to leave a lot different feeling in the pit of your stomach than if you're saying something is awful or terrible or horrible. There are some other words that I think are well for us to be aware of uh, that can create uptightness within us. Words like should, ought, must. These words tend to be demands. And I think it's important to remember we're not God. We cannot necessarily demand and direct other people's lives, for example. Other, And also to remember that this world does not operate on our timetable. We're going to need to be realistic in our expectations of others, keeping our expectations down, keeping our demands down of others and of ourselves and with our goals and our wants. Uh, very realistic, very down to earth. And simply remembering and knowing the sensible thing that things are not always going to go our way. When our demands are not met, uh, we tend to oftentimes get angry, hurt, frustrated, upset, uh, maybe cry, as I uh, oftentimes uh, kind of see people, I think, crying at their own movies. They're the ones that are processing the thoughts, they're the ones that are dwelling on these things, and if they're painting such, uh, such black pictures that it's causing them to cry. Uh, certainly we need to be aware that we don't have to dwell on things to, uh, to that degree. Uh, we can choose to think of something else. Many times, for example, I'm sure you've been in a conversation with somebody and they brought up something you didn't want to talk about. Well, very cleverly, very quickly, you change the subject to something else, right? You bet you did. Uh, oftentimes we're maybe watching television. We don't particularly like the program that's on. What do we do? We get up, we go over and switch the dial, change to a different program. I think we can begin to do a lot of that in our own heads. We find ourselves dwelling on something that's causing us a lot of frustration, anxiety, hurt, anger, or whatever. We can change the subject from some, to some positive thinking and uh, quit dwelling on uh, a lot of the negative thinking that, that was causing us all this upset. You and I have learned many things uh, since our birth, I'm sure. Some of these ideas are helpful, accurate, and lead to our pleasure and happiness. Other ideas that we've learned are false, and they lead to our emotional suffering and seem to perpetuate our unmanageability. One of these ideas that leads, I think, to a lot of unmanageability and unhappiness is the strong belief that our feelings, both the pleasant ones and the disturbing ones, are caused by other people or by external events. 
uh, that we're victims of others or we're victims of circumstances or something. Even the lyrics of a lot of our songs seem to indicate that. You hurt my feelings is an example of what I'm trying to say. Well, I think we have to realize that's nonsense. Uh, it's my thinking that hurts my feelings. Uh, it's the way I mentally process things that sometimes hurts my feelings, not the event itself, necessarily. Or really, if we take a strong approach with it at all. Another example of you made me feel bad. I say nonsense. If I'm feeling bad, I made me feel bad with my thinking. I allowed my feelings to be hurt. I processed it in that way. You turn me on. Oh, wow. I turn me on for crying out loud of it. If I get turned on, it's my thinking that does it. It's whatever I'm telling myself that makes it so to me. Guess what I'm really trying to say is that everything's in the eye of the beholder. Another example, closed spaces scare me. (laughs) Nonsense. My thinking about closed spaces may scare me, but not the closed spaces themselves. In other words... Again, it's how you perceive whatever is, is so do you. An example of this might be two little children playing down by the ocean. Okay, a big wave comes along, knocks them both down. One little child goes crying to his mother, scared to death, really upset, crying, The other little kid, he's standing there, smiling, happy, jumping up and down in glee, waiting for the next big wave to come along and knock him down again. Now, you can can see that the same thing happened to both kids. But it's how they perceived that wave. One looked at it as a threat. The other one looked at it as a fun thing. Uh... Again, everything's in the eye of the beholder, whatever you're saying it is, whether it's something to be feared or not. Another example of of this might be being alcoholic or chemically dependent is shameful, depressing, nonsense. It's my faulty thinking that being alcoholic is shameful and depressing that causes me problems emotionally if I'm looking at it that way. I've come to realize that alcoholism and chemical dependency is a disease. I didn't want it to happen to me, and I'm sure none of you wanted it to happen to you. I'm sure none of you went out and set out to become alcoholics, did you? Or drug-addicted people? You certainly didn't ask for that. You didn't want that to happen. We live in a drug-taking, drinking culture... And uh, for the most part, people that can handle it, fine. I see more power to them. Uh, Unfortunately, it's happening to about one out of ten people who use mood-altering chemicals today uh, that they're becoming uh, addicted. But nobody wants that to happen to them. 
And that's where the disease concept comes in. And now it's up to you, to us, to accept that and quit saying it's shameful or depressing to be chemically dependent or to be alcoholic. I don't think it's any more shameful than it is or would make any more sense than if I was to hear some uh, individual that had a heart, a heart attack saying, oh, it's shameful you know, that I've had a heart attack. Or somebody that's got diabetes to be saying, it's shameful that i got diabetes. No, they've accepted it as a disease. They didn't want it. They didn't ask for it. It just came and snuck up on them in a very subtle way. Another example of what I think uh, indicates uh, people have a tendency to want to blame other things for the way they are is uh, an example like speaking in public places makes me nervous. Ah, uh, no, that's nonsense. Uh, I've come to realize that. It's my faulty thinking, maybe, that speaking, for example, in public makes me nervous. But that's just because it's the way I'm looking at it. I can remember when I first started lecturing, uh, and I was so glad that the podium was in front of me so people couldn't see my knees shake. And I really did think that speaking made me nervous. Uh, a fellow staff member made me aware one time. He said, Dean, you know what your trouble is? You're too damn self-centered. <laughs> he said, if you'd get your mind off yourself and onto your message, you'd find that your nervousness would just go away very quickly. How right he was. As I walk out onto the stage now to deliver a lecture, Generally, I'm a little uptight, a little nervous for about the first ten seconds. As soon as I can get my mind off myself, what are they thinking about me, and what are they going to say about me, and on to my message, and better yet, on to the message and the people that I'm delivering it to, my nervousness is all gone. Another example of uh, being some kind of a victim is uh, to hear somebody say, being loved makes me worthwhile and important. And in other words, they're saying, well, if I'm not, if you're not loved uh, by somebody, you're you're nothing. You're not worthwhile and you're not important because nobody loves you. What nonsense! To me, every living human being is important and and very worthwhile. And I'm sure in the eyes of God, whether somebody on this earth loves him or not at the present time. Remember, we are worthwhile and we are important whether anybody is presently loving us or not. Certainly it's nice to be loved. I don't think it's crucial to staying sober. Hopefully if you don't have somebody loving you right at the present time, you'll find somebody that does as time goes on in this program. Another nonsense idea can oftentimes be very dangerous and for us recovering chemically dependent people is to be sober for a while and then say, oh, I guess I don't really need AA any longer. I think now I can make it on my own. This kind of thinking generally precedes a relapse in a rather short length of time. Uh, I've seen people return to treatment, some of them again and again and again.
And generally, it's a standard pattern. Well, what happened, Charlie, Jim, or Jill? Well, you know, Dean, I uh, I was going to AA and everything was going along fine, but then I kind of quit going. Uh huh. And you see, uh, after you kind of quit going to AA, or you do quit going, let's be blunt about it. What generally happens is the next kind of a nonsense idea that comes into your head is. Oh, I think I could handle a drink or two. I could probably handle a uh, pop a little Valium or something. I've been doing so well. I think I could control it now. The fact is, if you look at your history, you realize how dishonest that is. What kind of dishonest thinking is really taking place? For you and I as chemically dependent people, if we're really honest about it and we look at our histories, the history says that we cannot control alcohol or any other kind of mood-altering chemicals. And I don't care what the chemical of your choice was. I don't care whether you eat it, shoot it, drink it, or smoke it. To me, mood-altering drugs are mood-altering drugs. We can't handle any of them. We've got the facts for that, if we're honest with ourselves, when we really look at our history. That sense, we've got the facts that we are powerless. But uh, it's so important that at that time that you can identify the nonsense thinking, that you can also think back in a sensible way about the consequences of using again, about the consequences that you have had in the past as a result of using mood-altering chemicals and getting into trouble, trouble, trouble over and over and over again. Everyone that comes to treatment comes because they're really in trouble. They're generally in trouble in one of four areas, either with their health, either mentally or physically, or they're in trouble with their job. And boss is saying, you know, uh, you're going to treatment or I'm going to fire you. Or maybe the doctor was saying regarding their health, you better go to treatment or you're going to die from cirrhosis of the liver. Or uh, maybe it's the wife saying, hey, you're going to treatment or I'm going to divorce you. Or maybe it's a judge saying, hey, you're going to treatment or I'm going to put you in jail. That's the kind of trouble I'm talking about. Those are the kind of consequences we've had in the past. Those are the kinds of sensible things we need to think about when we have a tendency to want to use again. That's the best deterrent I know of with myself of taking that first drink. And don't think, you know, I don't think that I'm ever going to outgrow that urge from time to time. But being able to effectively practice some sensible thinking when it comes over me has been such a help, and I've learned this so, so well in AA. Another thing that I think is so important and it's sense to me is to remember uh, and to practice a little faith, a little trust in your higher power, 
that also helps relieve anxiety and nervousness. Simply talking to our God as we understand Him. I don't think we have to get fancy about it in any way. Just talk to Him like we talk to anybody else. But it can sure do a lot with lowering that old anxiety level, for me anyway. In closing then, let's remember that I am encouraging you all to check out your thinking. Ask yourselves honestly by looking at the facts if what's going through your head at whatever present moment it is, if it's sense or if it's nonsense. If it's sense, fine. In most cases, you can generally act upon that uh, in a reasonable fashion. If it's nonsense, let's dismiss it. I think it's so important to remember, though, that really mature people are directed by reasoning power and not controlled by their emotions. To me, that's one of the big differences between a mature person and an immature one. A mature person uses reasoning power uh, and is not uh, dominated and controlled by their feelings. Little kids are that way. They act pretty much just on what they feel like doing, and they do it, and oftentimes get in a lot of trouble for it. But as we grow up and as we mature, as we become more well-adjusted and more sensible thinking, hopefully we will be directed by reasoning power. Uh, I uh, know that keeping these things in mind, again, has helped me a lot. Share them with you. I'm hoping they'll be a, a help to you. I thank you. <laughs>